The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. To know the score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. It's been a pretty eventful week. Uh, drafts done. Playoffs still in full swing. A lot of things going on. Let's get into it. Before we start, just a reminder, you can find Know the Score on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also subscribe and download Note the Score through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, uh, YouTube, Spotify, any place where you can download and listen to podcasts. So we'll get into it, Dwayne. NFL draft, like you said, took place in the city that you reside, Nashville, Tennessee. So what was your impression of the NFL rolling into town and how did things come off in your city? Impressions, it was very positive. A lot of people had a good time. I didn't go to any of the events, unfortunately. I was stuck at work, but from what I, from what I saw, from what I read, a lot of great things done with this event. And they had it up, they had to set up outdoors at Nissan Stadium just outside of the outside of the stadium. So they had uh, the stage and everything set up. And, and, you know, the stage was covered, but it rained on Thursday night, but uh, rain doesn't really stop any kind of big time events here that go down in Nashville, uh, things of that sort. But what I thought of the event, you know, it came off very well, you know, and has people here kind of thinking, a lot more ambitious events. Hopefully not too ambitious, but, you know, like another big event that involves a certain trophy. So, uh, but also kind of doubt that would happen being that, you know, the inconsistencies of the weather here. So it could either be a hot Super Bowl or a cold Super Bowl, but, uh, but, Aside from that, it was a good event, good weekend, and things are returning back to normal here. So, As for the draft itself, the number one pick, as expected, Kyler Murray, selected by the Arizona Cardinals. So that means that they have a log jam at the quarterback position. So on the second day of the draft, the Cardinals traded Josh Rosen to the Miami Dolphins. Now, Josh Rosen received a lot of criticism leading up to the draft just because he said he was growing tired of the shenanigans the Cardinals were portraying as they were, you know, saying all the right things in the media. But, of course, we all knew behind the scenes what was really happening, the maneuverings that were really going down. So, do you think Josh Rosen got a fair deal this weekend? I know Steve Smith really laid one on him um, on NFL <laughs> Network. Uh, and a lot of other people kind of came down really hard on him uh, prior to the trade. Uh, what were your thoughts on how he kind of conducted himself uh, before the trade went down? 
I agree with everything that everybody's been saying. This is a business. This is part of the nature of the beast of the NFL. This is what you signed up for. So, uh, you know, if it had you performed better, you might not be in this situation. Yeah, the firing of Steve Wilkes was very unexpected and and unceremonious, but Steve Wilkes handled it with great, with a great nature, you know, and he got right back on his feet as a DC of the Browns, but, you know, had you played better, we probably wouldn't be talking about this situation, so, yeah, there's no real sympathy from me for for this, you know, it's kind of one of those things, life isn't fair, there's people out here with with um, lesser, who are not in, like, glamour jobs like the NFL as a quarterback, and have worse issues. So, yeah, you know, it's one thing. This happens in the working world. This is what you signed up for. This is your job. Things are going to happen that you don't want to happen, and they're going to say certain things, and that's just the nature of the beast. You just got to learn to deal with it. What if this was, you're lucky this was Arizona. What if this was a city like New York or a big market like Chicago or Houston or Boston or the Bay Area. What are you going to do then? So, yeah, no real big sympathy for me over here. Sorry. Now, the Raiders, they made the first shocking pick of the draft when they picked Cleveland Farrell, defensive end from Clemson, at number four. A lot of people thought that they would have been able to get him later on in the draft with some of their lower picks they had in the first round. But John Gruden said he wanted this guy, so they got this guy. Uh, Maybe they were some trading things they wanted to trade, but nobody would trade with them, so they made the pick, and everybody was kind of scratching their head. Then the Giants followed the Raiders at number six. By selecting Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke, with the sixth pick. Now, nobody in any mock draft ever formulated throughout this whole draft process had Daniel Jones going sixth to the Giants. But there are a lot of ties with Daniel Jones to Eli Manning, uh, the Manning family, the Manning passing camp, David Cutcliffe. So there is a prior relationship there with Eli Manning, which will allow the Giants to make a smooth transition because I guess Daniel Jones understands, hey, it may be three years before I actually play. And that's fine because, you know, Eli's my friend and he'll teach me everything he knows. Right. So your thoughts on who made the most interesting uh, pick between the Raiders and the Giants? (laughs) It's easily the Giants. Uh, I mean, you could say the Raiders because, you know, to a lot of people, Farrell may be a virtual unknown, but it is is definitely the Giants here because because of the kind of the same thing I alluded to earlier. This is New York. This is one of of the most um, traditional franchises in in all the NFL. So for them to make a 
for them to make a uh, pick like this is kind of like, what are y'all doing? Why are we making this move? You know, yeah, the ties to Eli, the transition, the vision that they have, it makes sense. But I don't think that uh, you have certain players that were available who were a lot better. And and then with the word of Dave Gettleman's um the Dave Gettleman's um PR his press conference is kinda like he felt like Jones wouldn't have been there at seventeen, so he figured he better make the move now. But uh all things considered the two teams that were looking for quarterbacks weren't looking at Daniel Jones at that at those two spots. So I was kind of wondering what was going on there. So I'd say the Giants had the most interesting pick and can't wait to see what happens from here going forward. Dwayne Haskins, he fell, the quarterback from Ohio State, he fell all the way down to the Washington football team at number 15. So the Washington football team got their quarterback. And Washington, they traded back into the first round, and they picked up Montez Sweat, defensive end from Mississippi State. So it was widely reported that Daniel Snyder wanted Dwayne Haskins, and there were reports that Daniel Snyder had taken over the Redskins draft room on Wednesday, and everybody was clowning and saying, oh, they're going to screw up. But by all accounts, from anybody you talk to and throughout the whole entirety of the draft, Washington might have been one of the top four teams when it came to overall draft grades this year. Absolutely. I think this was a great draft. I mean, all things considered, we don't know. We pretty much know Alex Smith isn't going to be the same ever again if he does return, so... You have to make sure you have you have a good backup. And well, not even a backup. He's probably going to be the starter right away. I think. So this offense now, you figure you got. This is where, as a fan, I totally don't want to see this kid play at all next year. Not one single down, not a one. Because here's why. We have a coaching staff that's basically like, you know, probably not going to be there next year, right? And more than likely, unless like our defense really comes through and wins a lot of games for us, we're probably going to be around the same thing we always are, 79, 6, and 10, whatever, right? So Jay Green's going to get fired. So don't even... Put him out there. Let the new coach who's going to come in that you're going to hire that's going to be some type of offensive guru, quarterback guy. Let him come in and have a fresh slate with Haskins that hadn't been beat up, hadn't had his confidence, you know, plucked down or struck down or anything. He's fresh. He hadn't been beat up. And, you know, come in with a guy who's going to be there for at least three years and then get the ball rolling with him. 
So who would you want a quarterback to start off with? It doesn't matter. Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, uh, maybe Case Keenum because his arm may be a little bit stronger. But we're not going to be that good this year. So it's not. It's no need to just to front like, oh, man, we're going to make the playoffs. No. So don't go, you know, ruining this kid and putting him out there because he's not ready to play. I see a lot of things he needs to clean up. His release is slow. Like I said, I see a lot of the bad parts of Jameis Winston. I see a kid who might have weight issues. I see a kid that when they blitz him, he don't really react that well. He doesn't seem like he does anything with a quick trigger. Everything is like load up and throw. I see a lot (laughs) of bad things that he's going to have to clean up to be ready to play. And I hope Dan Snyder has some patience and doesn't put him out there just because, oh, we drafted him this high, he needs to hit the field. No, because if he loses, if, if his confidence gets broken, we're never he's never going to be any good. So that would be my thing. Let him sit for a year and let Case Keenum and, and whatever take these losses. It's kind of like, it's kind of like take the – Kind of like going back to the older times where you have the quarterback sit instead of having him play right away. Right. Just because now if if Jay Gruden was like in his second year or Jay Gruden had been to the playoffs back-to-back and, you know, he was more secure in his thing where he could take a season where he could develop a quarterback in the line of fire, then, you know, that would be one thing. But, I mean, he's out here trying to keep his job on a team that ain't going to be very good, why throw a bad quarterback out? Why throw a rookie quarterback out there to just get hurt or, you know, stats be just terrible for, you know, three-fourths of the season? Right. Okay. I could understand that. I, I, I think, though, as logical as that is, the key word is it makes too much sense. And Daniel Snyder has done things that doesn't make too much sense. And... It kind of sucks because it does sound like it's a lame duck season for Jay Gruden, and and because of that lame duck season, it would be just Washington's luck that they end up being successful, and then he ends up staying, and he got a whole bigger mess there. Well, that would be fun. I mean, I, I'm not really opposed to Jay Gruden being the head coach of the team. I I think Jay Gruden's a fine coach he could probably be a little bit tougher and more of a disciplinarian and clean up some things as far as his you know in-game tactician stuff goes but you know I don't have any problem with what he does as the coach of the team I just feel like he's just in a bad situation because you know last year in the contract team isn't really looking that good on paper coming off a lot of injuries and, you know, it just doesn't – right now, the writing doesn't look to be favorable for him. Now, you know, never know. We could not be injured. Some other teams in our division could, you know, get injured. And you never know. He could turn out a, a 10-6 and six season and make it to the playoffs, and then we start back over with him again. And then, okay, then we'll get Haskins up and going in year two. I, or – even if, let's say, this is a bad season and we get to the last four games and we got, like, three home games and one road game, okay, yeah, play the kid. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it, the, don't, don't, play full yeah, don't try them out there 
opening day against the Eagles, though. Oh, hell no. Right. Oh, Eagles will feast on that. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some uh, your Carolina Panthers. I know they selected Brian Burns uh, right after uh, the Washington football team selected Dwayne Haskins. I know they also mm-hmm. picked up Will Greer. Uh, yeah. Quarterback from West Virginia in a very interesting move. So talk about the uh, the Panthers, uh, what you saw in their draft, and uh, what type of grade you would give them. I'll give them a B. I love the Brian Burns pick only because we lost two pretty much two big legends in Peppers to retirement, and then Thomas Davis to the Chargers because uh, Panthers' main thing was they wanted to get younger. And so they already have a pretty deep uh, core in the linebacking position. Uh, of course, Luke is the anchor in the middle, so that's not going to change. Uh, Shaq Thompson should be coming back from injury. And then you had you had this kid, Brian Burns, on. And then we also have an edge rusher from Alabama. I think it was Christian Miller who went as well in the, in the third day. And... And then, so you got your defensive ends there. Uh, a lot of people kind of saying the Will Greer pick kind of makes Cam Newton a, a loser in this situation. I think it's kind of the opposite because the, they said all along I re, from Rivera and Herney that they wanted to get, that they couldn't get a serviceable backup. They wanted to get a, they wanted to get a, uh, uh, quality backup through the draft. And I think Will Greer fits that. He's from Charlotte. He's a hometown kid. So he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's literally, he's literally been a Panther fan his whole life and he gets to play at home. And, you know, he already knows what the role is. Everybody knows what the role is. We know who's the starter. His camp's team is still going to be camp's team until until things fall off. I also like the fact that the Panthers shored up the offensive line because that needed to be done. Uh, good, It was a good move to trade up for Greg Little. And then, so you got Greg Little, who should be on either at the blind side of left tackle or even at right tackle if Daryl Williams gets healthy and moves over. You had those two with Matt Paradis at center. And then you got the guards that should be able to keep Cam upright and hopefully make sure that shoulder doesn't get get beat up like it has been over the last couple of years. Uh, Jordan Scarlett, who was picked in the fifth round, the running back from Florida, uh, if he does pan out, that would be a good complimentary back to McCaffrey. So it would be good to take some of that uh, workload off McCaffrey. Even though he's capable of it, you don't want to run him into the ground, you know, with 400 carries and then 100 receptions. So it was some good moves from the Panthers um, uh, for the most part. I give them a B, B plus. And before we wrap up the draft, anybody else that you thought had a pretty outstanding draft that you would like to just comment on? I know a lot of people were high on the Patriots, a lot of people high on uh, Cleveland, just their offseason in general, you know, yeah. before the draft. So talk about just maybe somebody else you thought that really stood out to you with uh, how they used to draft this year. I think DK Metcalf, uh, who got drafted on by the Seahawks, 
that was a good move for him, and I think it's good for Seattle, especially with the fact that Doug Baldwin might be done for his career, which kind of caught me by surprise. Didn't know how hurt he was until they revealed how many injuries he was going through. So that's that could be a great replacement right there. And I also thought uh, Quentin Williams, the Jets had a decent draft. I'd say the uh, – I do agree with the – Patriots and the and the uh, who was it um, the Browns of course uh, I did love the Eagles move kind of just swooping in taking the guy the Texans wanted and just making the Texans settle for uh, who uh, Titus Howard I mean HBCU's kind of won in this one because uh, Alabama State got a first round pick there so that was a uh, that was pretty cool for. Uh, Bama State and you know HBCs in general because the talent is there. So, um, some good, yeah. So those were kind of the winners of I thought of the draft, and and so and then Josh Allen falling seven to Jacksonville, that already makes a potent defense even more potent. So I think the Jaguars were winners there as well. And just some final NFL news. Marshawn Lynch is planning to retire. So it looks like he's finally going to hang up the cleats. And uh, as we were recording the last episode, Russell Wilson just got broke off a whole bunch of money. He is, for the time being, the highest paid player by annual salary in the NFL. Over $35 million a season with this new deal. So it looks like Seattle will be one of the first teams to try to uh, be the latest team rather than try to figure out how to build a contender when you pay your quarterback like a third of your salary cap. Right. It hasn't worked out too well, Green Bay. That's why I was uh, we were talking about this with um, a, a couple of my buddies. Uh, we were talking about Cleveland and how now that they – took a season and they know that Baker Mayfield can play, or at least he appears to be able to handle it, that they just went all in to try to get, like, we got three years. We can try to win the Super Bowl in three years. And that's what they're going for. It may not happen next year because everything's so new, but year two together with all these guys, which will be year three for Baker Mayfield, they may end up like Jared Goff, where they're, boom, right there in the, NFC Championship game or in the Super Bowl, and that's what they're counting on. And it's going to be very interesting to see what the Rams do because if I think he is, Sean McVay is as good with quarterbacks as everybody thinks he is, and I think he is, then if they could get in the right spot, draft a really good rookie and just start it all over again. Yeah. And then not pay the big number to golf, let somebody else pay the big number to golf, and then you keep rolling with your talent. And because, I mean, you know, eventually they're going to lose, you know, girly, you know, girly or somebody's going to have to go. They can't keep everybody. Right. Or or if they want to get something out of it, tag golf, make a trade and then get some compensation out of it, too. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see who is the first team to kind of go that route where it's like. You know, we're going to treat quarterbacks like we treat running backs. We'll, we'll give him four years, and then even if he's good, 
we won't overpay him if he, you know, if he can't work within the framework of our, you know, we'll give you, you know, 22% of the cap, but we can't give you 33. And if you can't work with that, okay, we'll just get a rookie and, and start back over. And it's going to be, the times are changing. And so we're definitely going to see something brand new coming up real soon. The only quarterback I can see that's going to be locked into his team for the foreseeable future young guy is um, Mahomes. He's he's probably going to break whatever you think is possible for an NFL player to make. Absolutely. If you think that, you know, 155 or 60 million is kind of the cap on an NFL player salary, he's going to blow past all of that. He is. Yeah, but that's the, that's the only guy, though. Everybody else, I feel like if teams are smart, don't spend all the money on your quarterback because, man, it puts you in such a hole in the rest of your team. Yeah. So that's the NFL. So they will take a few months off and then they will be back in full swing in July and August when training camps come open. Uh, they'll actually have many camps coming up here, I think, next weekend or a couple of weeks away here so the rookies can – uh, do some working out and, and get into the playbooks and everything like that. But the real training camp will be starting July and August, and then the season will be back in September. So it seems far away now, but it'll be for right around the corner here in no time. Be here for you know it. Another score, like I said, is being brought to you by the CSPN. Please download Another Score, subscribe, and listen each and every week. You can also follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. Shifting over to some playoff talk, we'll start out in the NHL. The last time we talked, we were on the verge of three Game 7s. And the Carolina Hurricanes, the Boston Bruins, and your San Jose Sharks all advanced to the second round after winning their respective Game 7s. Now, we'll start with San Jose because that's where the controversy was at. Oh gosh! The, here we go. The refereeing was a little bit suspect. Uh, some power plays that. that the Sharks benefited from. They got the game into overtime. There was a penalty <sighs> called in overtime that led to a power play goal, and the San Jose Sharks advance. Take it from here, Dwayne. Okay, so here's what happened. So, Cody Eakin of the Vegas Golden Knights, he hit Joe Pavelski, the Sharks captain. Pavelski fell on the ice, and he was bleeding from the head. Okay, and, you know, looking at the replay, it was a cross-check. Was it a five-minute major cross-check? Debatable. But the official didn't call it immediately. They actually went to review it, and then they put the penalty. Uh, not only did they put a penalty up, they put a five-minute major penalty up. So for those that don't uh, know the rules in detail here, a major penalty is when it's excessive force, and it usually results in a game misconduct, and and the team that gets penalized is on the power play for five minutes. So they got, so basically they're without, it's a five on four for five minutes. And the team that has five, the team that has the man up, 
they can score as many goals as they want during the major penalty. So during these five minutes, the San Jose Sharks were down three to nothing. This was late in the third period when this happened. And it looks like the the Sharks season is about to end in the game seven at home to a division rival. And they rallied back. They actually took, they scored four goals in a span of three minutes and 33 seconds. Put them up four to three. So, controversy. Um, apparently, you know, one of the players from Vegas was extremely upset about the penalty because it changed the whole course of the game and the whole course of the series. Here's my thing. Here's my response to that. You guys were up three games to one. Had y'all won game five or game six at home, there would have never been a game seven. We wouldn't have this controversy. So the NHL did apologize to Vegas. This is Vegas' second year in the play in the in the NHL. They made the Stanley Cup final last year. Every NHL. Every NHL team's been hit with a bad call here or there. Welcome to the NHL. That's just what it is. And we just got to deal with it. So, I'm a little biased, but hey. We won. We moved on. That's that. The Carolina Hurricanes, they got down two to nothing on the road to the defending Stanley Cup champions, but they rallied thanks to a shorthanded goal by Sebastian Ajo, a game-tying goal at three by Jordan Stahl, and a game-winning goal by Brock McGinn, and the Carolina Hurricanes stun the Washington Capitals on the road and win their game seven. And Boston Bruins, they demolished Toronto. I think it was five to two. Five to one. Oh, five to one in their game seven. So that was the drama. Knocked them out in the game seven for the second year in a row. So that was the drama of the game sevens in the NHL. So that brings us to our new series. And in the East, the Blue Jackets and the Bruins are all tied at one game apiece. The Blue Jackets even up the series with an overtime win on Saturday night. And those Carolina Hurricanes, after playing two overtimes in Washington to knock out the Capitals. They head up to New York on Friday. They win in overtime against the Islanders, and then they followed it up on Sunday with another come-from-behind win, 2-1, to one, uh, with two goals in the third period after they lost uh, one of their top defensemen and their goalie. So the Carolina Hurricanes are the only team right now in the NHL playoffs with a 2 to nothing lead in their series. Out West, San Jose and Colorado are each tied at a game apiece, and so are Dallas and St. Louis. So now, Dwayne, you're our NHL handicapper. Which teams do you see making it to the respective conference finals in the NHL playoffs? Yes, I, I will say this. First, no division winner made it to the second round. The four division winners, Tampa Bay, 
in the Atlantic, Washington in the Metropolitan, Nashville in the Central, Calgary in the Pacific. None of them made it to the second round. So that breaks the field wide open. So in the East, I'm going to say we're going to see a a uh, kind of a former former rivalry renewed here with the Bruins and the Hurricanes. Um, I don't think the Hurricanes are going to wear any Whalers jerseys during this time, but I do see it's going to be the Bruins and the Kings in the East. And out west, um, I'm going to stick with my team here. Um, and that's because I do think at the end of the day, they, they are the better, they are the better team, but we shall see. Um, I want to go with the Sharks, and it's really going to be tough for me to say this because I think that they are the better team, but their opponent has been playing some great hockey as late. I think the Blues are going to hold off the Stars, but it will not surprise me one bit if we see the Stars in the final, in the West final, just because of how well they've been playing over the last month. Uh, not even just at the end of the, the start of the national series, but you know, even the month prior to that, they've been playing some really great hockey. So I think Boston, Carolina, San Jose, and St. Louis. All right. So NHL playoffs have been really exciting, especially here in Raleigh. Uh, game three is going to be here Wednesday night, and those, those people are going to be on full tilt. Because it's the first game back in Raleigh since they beat the Capitals and they've won these two games on the road in the second round. So the people, the fans here haven't seen them in over uh, 10 days. So they are going to be on tilt on Wednesday night. Can't wait. The atmosphere should be fantastic. And hopefully they continue to play as well as well as they have. Uh, we'll see what the injury situation uh, is going to look like because they're starting to pile up uh, for Carolina. I think they've got five guys currently uh, injured right now uh, on on the roster. So a little bit of difficulty there, but, you know, they've always all season been stepping up, next guy up, and uh, it it continues here in the playoffs. So NHL playoffs have been fun. Can't wait for the scene to shift to Raleigh on Wednesday. Now we'll move over to the association, the NBA playoffs, the Denver Nuggets have won their first playoff series in over a decade as they move on to the second round after defeating the San Antonio Spurs in seven games. It was a game that was out of hand, and then San Antonio came back and made it tight in the fourth quarter, but Denver made the winning plays down the stretch to not blow the lead and move on to the second round. So a young team finding a way uh, to win a series. Big step for Denver. So congratulations to all of those guys out there and their fans moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Dame Lillard started the week off by hitting an epic 40-foot three-pointer to close out the Thunder. Uh, they beat the, ser- uh, the Thunder four games to one in a series in which Dame Lillard really opened the eyes of most of the other parts of the country who didn't know how bad of a man he was. Uh, averaging over 30 points a game, hitting just ridiculous shots uh, in the series, just abusing poor Russell Westbrook. The Warriors, it took them a little longer than people expected, but they defeated the Clippers in six games 
uh, Kevin Durant reminded us constantly who he was uh, as he averaged uh, 30 points in this series. Just some outstanding performances. Uh, 50 points in the closeout game. I think he had, what, 34, 38 in the first half. He was in full sniper mode in game six. And then over in the West, I mean, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, the Raptors and the Celtics, they both flexed their muscles with game one wins over the Sixers and the Bucks. Uh, Double-digit wins at that, very impressive, especially the Celtics over the Bucks on the road. Uh, everybody thought that, you know, Milwaukee, after coming off the series last year with Boston in the seven games that, you know, Milwaukee, best team in the East, that they would be prepared and better equipped to handle Boston. But nah, Boston came in, put the defense on them. Giannis had an awful game and uh, Celtics won by 20. So your assessment of your Celtics going into Milwaukee and getting the first game and making such a big statement. Agreed. I think that this was a huge statement that was made. And the focus on shutting down uh, Giannis was a sound strategy. And a big shout out to Al Horford because he go over to Giannis on Boston not once but twice at the rim. But it's not an easy thing to do, I mean, given everything that Giannis is capable of. And when they converge on Antetokounmpo, the rest of the team was nowhere to be found. This is a team that usually shoots, like, in the high 30s, low 40s from three, and they're not even trying anything to stop them. And... A prime example that was the wow, and so I thought this was a eventful second round, our first round, I should say, of games, and we can only hope that the second round is just as a successful. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting once these Western Conference um, series really get going. The Warriors beat Houston. And a game that's had a bunch of controversy in it about fouls that were weren't called as far as uh, guys, namely James James Harden, having places to land when they shoot their jump shots. But you also, if you watch James Harden, you also know that he jumps into his jump shot. So where he necessarily starts his shot isn't where he ends. So it's hard for defenders to, you know, do that. And the refs luckily didn't get fooled by the one that everybody's so up in arms about because he 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 went forward and you're not supposed to be able to do that as the shooter because you have to give the defensive player the same right to come down as well. Are you are you in the same camp as everybody? You think that those were fouls that should have been called, or do you feel like? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see. With that game, I thought they. I've been waiting for the two-minute report to come out all day long. So, I really want to see what they say because a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of missed calls in this game. It was pretty bad, badly officiated game. I know there is the error here in element and, uh, you know, a great job by, you know, James Harden that kind of handle that, especially after uh, during the media in the press conference 
after after something like that. But uh, like I said, I'm just I'm gonna search the internet all day for the report from that game to see what it says, and I, I thought there were a ton of bad calls. Some of them intentional, some of them were not. And we just have to see what happens going forward and what, what's going to be done about it. Anything surprising you uh, as we head into the second round of the playoffs, or is this kind of the matchups you expected? Uh, matchups I expected. I expected. PC Lowe stay in the second round. I expected the Nuggets and Blazers. Uh, you know, they really, you know, OKC had a great second half. I kind of was in the, uh, the Tristan or not kind of a question. So, uh, so I was just. I don't see anything changing in terms of how these players are going to play, but we do need to make sure that, you know, the officiating is fair going forward. Yeah, for, hopefully that's not going to be the the narrative of the series in the Western Conference, at least in that Houston-Golden State series where, you know, it's every night we're talking about you know, three or four things the referees missed instead of the actual deciding plays on the basketball court. I thought that Golden State played really good defense yesterday. Uh, Houston shot at just an awful percentage from the three-point line. And Golden State, uh, you know, it, it was a tougher game than they probably could have been. Steph Curry was in foul trouble. They had some turnovers. But Houston, everybody thinks, is the biggest threat to dethrone them. So it's going to be a tough series, but hopefully the referees can stay out of it and the guys can decide it on the court. Agreed. So, Dwayne, at this point, man, unless there's anything else that you want to just add into um, the NBA talk, it's time for our shout-outs and final thoughts. Shout-outs to all the listeners, all the podcasters in the world of podcasting. Uh, Shout-out to... Uh, the KTS alumni, all the CSPN hosts, and as always, thank you, Don, for having me. Um, the, since we're talking about the NBA, I want to add the instability of the Phoenix Suns here. Um, they're about to hire their sixth coach in as many years, and it's not good there. I mean, this was a team that was once the, the uh, what's the word? One of the most prouder franchises, I should say, of the of the NBA, and you know now it's so much turnover, so much instability uh, since Robert Sarver took over the team, and I don't see it going any positively anytime soon. Uh, James Jones. Yes, LeBron James, former team, James Jones, and Miami and Cleveland is the GM now. And, you know, now he's looking for uh, his own general manager, but it's just really 
crazy how unstable it is out there. Yeah, and it sucks because, I mean, they've got two of the, well, really three of the better young players in the league in Booker, uh, Aiton, and the uh, DeJohnson kid that they got out there. And, um, you know, the, if they can just, like you say, get some stability with some coaching and some front office, then, you know, they may be able to turn some things around and get back to, you know, competitive status. But I think they have a Looney Tunes as an owner. And uh, speaking from an experience, if you got bad ownership, man, it doesn't matter what type of people you bring in there, what type of players you bring in there. It's more than likely going to be too much to overcome. All right. So for me, I just like to thank Dwayne for joining me once again this week. I'd like to thank everybody who listens to Know the Score and CSPN each and every week. Please support our sponsors over on CSPN.us. Click on the menu tab that says keep our podcast free. Do some shopping with one of our sponsors to help keep Know the Score free each and every week. Also, check out the Patreon page over on patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. Uh, subscribe over there to uh, listen to exclusive content only found on patreon.com. My final thought would be NASCAR. They got a boost in the arm yesterday as Chase Elliott won the Geico 500 down in Talladega, Alabama. So big popular win for NASCAR. Chase Elliott, the youngest face, the guy that everybody in the sport needs to do well so the sport can rise as a whole and become as popular as it was in the mid to late 90s. But they got to have this guy, mainly Chase Elliott, and I think also Chevrolet as a manufacturer, they got to start being a factor each and every week. I think a lot of what's caused NASCAR to kind of decline is that all the icons that used to drive Chevys retired and the new guys who have replaced them haven't been able to uh, deliver the wins and put those cars in positions, you know, to win each and every week. And so Chevy has become a non-factor on most race days. And I think that's kind of hurt the sport as well as uh, Chase Elliott being the face, but not really having a breakout season where he wins six or seven races, but maybe that'll happen this year. Uh, Sunday was his first of the season. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Usually when you win races, you kind of win them in multiples. So we'll see if this starts to string the races for Chase Elliott, where he gets on a roll and uh, he really starts to show his dominance and kind of brings NASCAR uh, popularity up as he starts to become, you know, more dominant in the sport. So I'm looking forward to that and what plays out later on this season in NASCAR. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.